This is WWE Champion Drew McIntyre, and you are listening to Rocket Fuel. Well, wrestling entertainment reach about a billion people across their various different social channels. Yes, a billion. Well, wrestling entertainment normally record their content in at least 15 different languages, maybe more. They're a huge, huge global phenomenon, and I think that their fan base are more passionate than almost any other fan base in anything across the world. They're still working now. They record content, seven hours of live TV every week of the year. Isn't that amazing? So when I reached out to World Wrestling Entertainment, I was expecting I might get to chat with somebody in their marketing department, something like that. But no, they offered me, yes, me, James Erskine from Rocket. They offered me a long interview on Zoom that we recorded last week with World Wrestling Entertainment's heavyweight champion, the first ever British WWE heavyweight champion, Drew McIntyre. And this is our chat. We talk a bit about his background, how he got to where he is. We talk a bit about what it takes to be a WWE superstar. And then we ask Drew McIntyre, first ever British WWE champion, first ever British winner of the Royal Rumble for his rocket fuel. So the first thing to say is historic first ever British WWE heavyweight champion Drew McIntyre thanks so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel oh, thank you very much for having me so it's crazy every time I hear that first ever British champion I never get sick of it <laughs> and I'm first British winner of the Royal Rumble as well might I add so there you go for the uninitiated Drew we'll bring to life what that means, winner of Royal Rum- the Royal Rumble, first ever heavyweight champion. But why don't we go back a bit, first of all? Why don't we get to know you? Why don't you bring to life your journey, first of all? How have you got to where you are now? How did it all start? Um, I guess the brief version is uh, this has always been a dream of mine, um, to be a wrestler and part of the WWE as far back as I can remember in Air Scotland, a very small town in Scotland. Um, I always tried to think of ways that I could get in there to the company. Finally, when I was 14, I convinced my mother to let me travel 12 hours to Portsmouth to the one wrestling school, basically in the UK. So that was my journey. I'd be back and forth, 24 hour round trip to learn to wrestle, you know, stayed in school the whole time. This education very important to me and my family. And thankfully 21 years old, um, I was the first ever Scotsman signed to WWE after a lot of hard work and a lot of time, like trying to balance my school and wrestling at the same time and thankfully worked out. And you went to university too, right? So you, you mentioned education and did you get that degree or was that all the way, did that happen too? Yes, I got the degree and I was signed in the same year, my final year wow. of university. So everything was perfectly timed. I studied criminology because I wanted to profile all these crazy people I was potentially going to work with in the future. <laughs> nice. And now you are, WWE heavyweight champion. What what does a typical week look like? What's the scope of your role? Um, I mean, there's a lot that goes into uh, being WWE champion. You know, aside, um, you know, obviously my regular routine, which is obviously working out and trying to eat correctly. You know, um, I'm the brand ambassador. Um, you know, and our mission at WWE is pretty simple. We want to put smiles on everybody's faces and 
to kind of put into perspective the global reach of WWE, you know, I'll read you some, some figures here. You know, we're in TV in 180 countries, 800 million households, 20 different languages, with 1 billion followers on social media. And it's up to me to think, like, you know, how can we get, you know, more eyes on the product? How can we reach out there? And you know, the ones who know, know. The ones who don't, it's my job to hopefully catch their attention so they'll give WWE a chance because we really are for the youngest kid to the oldest adult, which brings me to today and getting to talk with mm. yourself and hopefully reach mm. a different audience. Sure. And when you were going on this journey to, to where you've got now, have you ever had a mentor? Do you see yourself mentoring anybody, whether that be a formal relationship or an informal one? I mean, I've had a, a lot of mentors throughout my career uh, from an in-ring perspective, etc., and out the ring. Um, somebody I've always admired. And he's a friend of mine and I can ask him questions anytime is John Cena. Like when it comes to people that have had success within the ring, you know, there's nobody quite like John, but outside the ring, when I talk about being a brand ambassador, and somebody who represents the company in every single environment in such a positive manner, somebody who works so hard, you know, I, I basically, if you ask our media people, I'm somebody who will ask for, give me everything you can, every media opportunity I want to learn, I want to get better. That's because I watched John Cena do it. So inadvertently, he's a bit of a mentor um, of mine because I aspire to be like John, the hardest working man I've ever seen in this industry. For those that don't know, he's 16-time WWE champion. Is that right? And he's, he, yeah, yeah. he's brand ambassador personified, and now he's gone on to have a successful Hollywood career too, right? He also taught himself Mandarin just so we could break into the Chinese market a little bit better. This is the level of person I'm wow. trying to aspire <laughs> to be like. So i got to work pretty hard to catch up with John. <laughs> uh, Drew, how do you like to be managed? How do you like to be coached? How, how do you like working collaboratively with people? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, I guess, is uh, I like to work as a team. And that's how I operate best. I'm very open to uh, people's opinions, suggestions, how I can improve myself, you know, especially outside the ring. And we've got so many different areas, you know, of WWE um, that I basically, they're the experts. And I just want to learn, so I will go to people that are better than me and hopefully pick their brain so I can improve. And then hopefully if I have a few suggestions, just uh, I'll throw them their way and together we'll come up with the best possible plan, how we're going to approach the situation, how we're going to reach you know, the biggest area of the market. And uh, it's been such a great experience as WWE Champion because it's opened all these new doors for me and how to improve myself and become hopefully one day the same level as a John Cena when it comes to promoting WWE. Um, when you were, when you went on this drive, when you went on this mission, did you, were you going on a mission to become famous? Were you going on a mission to become a wrestler or were you going on a mission to be in WWE? Do you know what I mean? What was it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, my goal was always to be in WWE. It was always to be a wrestler. Um, I, I guess like because WWE is so damn huge, <laughs> like some fame, fame comes along with it, but that was never a goal of mine. But because of the, the fame that comes along with it, because of the opportunities that come along with it, I tried to now use uh, that fame and that influence, especially, especially socially, to um, you know, inspire people is my goal now. You know, my story is a very real story about you know, failing a lot of times and pushing forward and never giving up to succeed. And uh, hopefully you know, my um, you know, the real story, the real Drew, will touch a lot of people out there, inspire them to chase their dreams. Um just on that kind of dream, if you like, uh, mentality, what would you say that you're known for professionally 
what would you what would you say if people say in the locker room right now drew mcintyre what do you think is the next word that comes to their mind <laughs> um it's hard to like talk about myself like, I guess, I know. like hopefully <laughs> hopefully uh, hopefully humble because it is weird for me to talk about this kind of stuff but like mm. I, i'm guessing known for being extremely hard working um, and this is my passion it's my obsession i love it so it's not a job to me if you love what you do you'll never work a day in your life and um i guess the first thing that would come to mind for everybody else is you know drew's extremely hard working and wants to be better i i was going to touch on this a bit later but i think it makes sense to bring it up now because as well as the if you like long journey you've also had an incredible journey over the last few years haven't you because this isn't your first run in the wwe you almost got close to the top of the mountain and then then it didn't work out and now it is again so it's kind of been stage two of the journey and you've had a whole load more kind of yeah effort to get back to the top of the mountain yeah um it's been like i say a crazy crazy journey um you know i got signed so young at 21 came to america was part of wwe was living the dream uh, provided a lot of big opportunities but to be honest i wasn't giving my all and pulling my weight and inevitably um you know, I forgot this was the dream. I got lost in the bubble. I lost perspective and I got fired because of it. And I had to look myself in the mirror afterwards, knowing that that was on me, that I wasn't giving it my all. That was the day where I promised myself I would start working as hard as possible in the ring, out the ring. I was a boy during that run. I was very immature, still the student mindset and grow up. And now it's more a case of, you know, I don't try to please everyone else. I don't let pressure get to me. I just answer to the man in the mirror. I'm accountable to the man in the mirror and that new uh, work ethic and drive is what brought me back to WWE and inevitably led me to the WWE title and allows me the opportunity now to uh, go around spreading the word of WWE. So it really does show you if you work hard enough for something, if you believe in yourself, block out the negativity, you can do anything. So there are lots of parallels between your own journey and how you've got here and almost the, the broader role of what WWE is trying to do. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. You know, my story kind of matches what WWE is all about. I know at the heart of it, WWE is all about storytelling. You know, good guy versus bad guy, overcoming some kind of conflict. Um, and that's been the story of my life. Um, you know, Drew McIntyre has always been overcoming some kind of conflict, be it some kind of outside sources caused it or I, co I caused it myself. I've always been fighting to overcome challenges and inevitably succeeding and working my way to become WWE champion. And I think, you know, it's a perfect time for me to represent the company as champion also. Um, you know, with everything going on um, in the world right now, um, it's very interesting and everything happens for a reason. Um, this led me to this point where I have this story and hopefully people are tuning into WWE or tuning into this right now and they're hearing my story. It'll inspire them you know, to keep fighting no matter how difficult things get. So you're on the road a lot in normal times, although we're currently recording during lockdown, so you're not on the road that yes. much right now. <laughs> um, how do you relax? How do you switch off? And are you any good at relaxing? <sighs> Honest answer, no. <laughs> I am not, I'm not good at switching off because, like I say, this is my, this is my passion, it's my love, it's yeah. my obsession my entire life so i think about it consistently all day and i think about you know how can i better myself how can i you know uh, help like get more eyes on wwe and how can i improve the wrestling industry in general like this is 
the, the only thing, my first ever love. But saying that I am married, I, my wife is the one person that's able to take my mind off of uh, wrestling, even if it's for just a little bit each day. Uh, my wife and my two cats will sit and we'll watch Netflix. We go for walks, especially right now with um, you know the current climate. We like to mm -hmm. go on nature trails. And that really helps me relax. And to be honest, like if you are obsessive out there and you're doing 100% of the time, you're way more productive if you're able to take your mind off it for a little while, let things digest, then get back to it. So she's been a big part of balance in my life. Things that fans of wrestling, things that the WWE universe to use, the parlance that they speak, and the, the WWE fans will always hear is, wrestling isn't real and and often they come back with well nor's eastenders or coronation street but loads of people watch those you know so it's it's they they kind of get that affronted but your your mainstream entertainment increasingly but also how does one become a wrestler is it is it all about if you like the physicality how much is character how much is physicality what's the combination and when did you get it right <laughs> Uh, I guess if you're looking to get into wrestling, I, I mean, on the, on the fake thing, it never bothers me. If someone could figure out how to fake gravity, tell this guy first. Um, <laughs> but I could get into wrestling in general. I guess like uh, most things, um, you know, you go to school. Um, first thing, like I've mentioned already, because it's very important to me, is if you're younger, sticking at school, finish school, it's good to have a fallback plan. Nothing's guaranteed. And focus your spare time on chasing the dream. Then you find a reputable school that's had a high success rate of producing uh, superstars who are able to get opportunities outside uh, of WWE and inevitably making it to WWE. Just do your research because a lot of people will just take your money. Um, so as long as you do that research, as long as you're driven, you know, willing to give it all, you're mentally and physically tough and you truly, truly want to do this, um, you can like make it happen. And like I keep saying uh, over and over, like if you look at the Drew McIntyre story, you know, I've succeeded and I've failed and I've failed and I've failed. If, you're, if you've got that drive and you love it enough, you will keep pushing forward and inevitably you will succeed if you believe it enough and you work hard enough. With, I'd, I'd be killed if, although this isn't natural from this, the audience of this podcast, I'd get really badly told off, not least by my own son, if I didn't ask you some wrestling questions, some head-on no, WWE stuff. Um, what's, what do you think is the match that's mattered most to you so far? What's been your best match? Um, I mean, there's a few matches that from an in-ring perspective might technically be better, but um, you know, this is one that hopefully the non-wrestling fans um, will appreciate, um, and hopefully you'll check it out uh, once you hear some of this, this information uh, today. But my, my biggest match, my most important match, was this year at WrestleMania. I wrestled in the main event against Brock Lesnar, the former two-time UFC champion, uh, one of a kind athlete, and I beat him in five minutes for the WWE Championship. So. That's the culmination of a live stream and uh, 19 years of extremely hard work after a lot of ups and downs. So that's definitely <laughs> number one for me. Yeah. And what about the best match? I think every wrestling fan has got one. Mine is probably TLC at WrestleMania 17. But what about the one match that you weren't involved in where you were blown away? Can you pin it down to one? Yeah, I mean, that's a great match. You just mentioned that was revolutionary, hmm. especially at the hmm. time, the TLC match. Uh, but for me, I guess, um, so many, but I'll get right to it. <laughs> Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. Bret Hart was my favorite wrestler as a kid, known as the Hitman. He was always the good guy. Stone Cold Steve Austin was on the rise, about to become 
the number one superstar in the history of this industry. And in that match, um, they told such a compelling story. And by the end, uh, there was the twist where Bret Hart turned bad. Stone Cold Steve Austin was set up as the number one good guy in the company. And it took the wrestling industry to heights it's never seen before, especially culturally. Like it took over, especially like, like my uncle was watching, never watched wrestling. So like talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin, how cool he was when I was 14 years old. I went to school. I was like kind of quiet wrestling fan. and Everyone was on wrestling t-shirts. I went, wait, when did wrestling get cool? Like that's kind yeah. of the moment th things turned uh, with Stone Cold Steve Austin. To bring that to life for the audience, in terms of the stories told in the ring, you've got the guy that's the, the biggest baddie, the most cockiest baddie in the world. You've got the, if you like, nicest of superstar heroes in Brett the Hitman Hart. And in the course of, I'd guess, a 20-minute match, they told the story of physicality and they'd reversed who was the good guy and who was the bad guy and taken, I forget how many people, whether that was an arena WrestleMania or not, but let's say at least 30,000 people on that journey with them. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, that's one of the most amazing things about this industry as you have that ability to take the audience in such an emotional roller coaster of emotions. You can make them happy, you can make them sad, you can make them angry. And that's the art to it all is when you have the audience you can feel you have the audience in the palm of your hand and they're believing what you're believing. There's no better feeling. And that truly is the art to this. And what, you know, I'm excited about when things resume back to normal. Uh, we'll never take one show for granted again. Not that I ever did <laughs> uh, take a show for granted with an audience there. But I'm so excited to see the audience again because we have such a passionate, passionate fan base. And, you know, it's going to be a cool moment. When I walk out as champion, still champion and raise that title. <laughs> Have you got a dream match that you really want to happen? Is there anything on the agenda, anybody you're desperate, either from the past or the, or the current day? Um, I guess I would say um, you know, one of our superstars called Seamus. He was the first ever Irish-born champion. Um, you know, we're best friends. We've known each other since I was 19 and he was about 39. I'm joking. <laughs> Uh, he's a little bit he's a little bit older like a big brother to me we've had very similar uh, career paths we pushed each other outside of WWE we got signed together I won the intercontinental title which is one of our titles the same night he won the WWE title that I currently have and then uh, obviously his career kind of took off and then mine went on a downward turn and now I've returned I've worked my way back to champion he's on a bit of a downturn coming back up and I think it'd be a very interesting story with a real life relationship and also the content on television we've produced over the past 10 years. They're a really exciting match for everyone. And we're Scottish and Irish. We're just going to beat the crap out of each other. Everyone's going to love it. <laughs> so, Drew, are there any other matches that have been particularly notable? Any others that have driven change? Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm going to look at matches that made a huge difference, you're not just in wrestling, but in the world, um, I'd have to start... Um, with a match we had um, in Abu Dhabi with the first ever women's match with Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss with a crowd of uh, the females and uh, like uh, children there broke into a chant of This Is Hope, which is just incredible. And that inevitably led to um, a match in um, Saudi Arabia, which is crazy to say. I, I was there. I've seen it myself and just... WWE been part of the progress that led to the ma a match between uh, Natalia Neidhart and Lacey Evans. And it was just such a significant moment. And, and it just it went beyond wrestling. Like that was uh, such a big moment for, I know how much it meant to the women and kids there, to me personally. I get kind of emotional thinking about it and talking about it uh, because it is a real big deal.
Uh, but that's something we talk about, you know, uh, how much WWE can impact people's lives. That's real stuff right there. So I'm still here with Drew McIntyre from the WWE. Um, Drew, talk to us about your role. I mean, because long gone are the days where a wrestler just had to be a wrestler. You're, you're on social media. You're, you're doing charitable donations. You're a, so, so what is your job? Are you a performer? Are you a wrestler? Are you a social media star? You've got to be all of those things, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that's you've summed it up perfectly. We are all of those things. We need to be a technically uh, brilliant wrestler, an elite endurance athlete, a charismatic actor, a social media strategist, an innovative content creator, a visionary marketeer, we're improvisers. I could keep going on and on and on. To be a WWE superstar, not just a wrestler. I'm doing air quotations right now. You know, there's a lot that, a lot that comes with the territory. <laughs> And in terms of how WWE excites audiences, I've seen it firsthand. My little boy is now very passionate and hugely into it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan myself. The role that WWE plays in the life of their fans, to me, is a new level of excitement and engagement. I mean, you were a wrestling fan when you wanted to become a wrestler, so you must have sensed it. But try and bring that to life for the benefit of the people listening. I mean, it's some of the fans are, yeah, such super fans, aren't they? It's, it's fanaticism to a whole new level. Yeah, they're wild, they're passionate, and they're me. I, I'm just the one that took it too far, I guess. <laughs> it's awesome just how, when a WWE fan, um, you know, I get to meet them in person and talk about the product, or I see the messages on Instagram and social media. They're just so passionate and knowledgeable. We have such a diverse, multi-generational audience, and more U.S. families watch WWE together than any other sport. And it comes a shock to people. You know, it's not just like young kids and uh, young males that are watching the product. Like 40% of our audience is actually female. Like it's such um, a broad spectrum of fans out there, and I meet them all and. It's just wild how much they know. They tell me more about the product than I actually know. That's how you know passionate they are. And in terms of the different parts of the business and the different parts of your role, where do you think you make the most of fan connection? Is it live? Is it on the pay-per-views? Is it when you meet and greet outside? Where do you notice it and where do you feel the energy at its highest? I mean, they're all very important, um, but for me, it's live. You know, that's the one thing I certainly miss right now is performing live. Um, you know, you can look a kid in the eye and that's a fan for life right there. You know, slapping hands when that was okay and signing an autograph and taking pictures really makes such an impact on people. And I know um, personally because I was a kid going to the shows and I remember the superstars up close and it made such an impact on me that I, was probably more inspired to chase my dream and achieve my dream seeing it live. But, you know, all, they're all so important. Like social media is just the most important thing in the world, essentially, eh, right now. And WWE embraces social media perhaps more than any other sport and entertainment brand to build our character storylines and connect with the fans beyond TV and live events. And the TV itself has such a huge global audience. You know, where uh, the TV product with our protagonists and antagonists um, is so critical and raw. 
I've got to get this in here because this always blows my mind. It's the longest running weekly episodic TV show in history with more than 25 years. And that's not like we have a season, we stop. The next year, we mm. get another season, we stop. That's consistently 25 years, 52 weeks a year, nonstop. It's mental. That is incredible. I think I remember the first Monday Night Raw. So there you go. Yeah. So do I. Um, so do I. <laughs> um, I want to touch on almost the direction of travel for WWE. It's quite a in the weeds question, but indulge me. Um, I'm partly out of necessity because the world's in lockdown. WWE have gone on a journey of making more cinematic matches. So there were two at this year's WrestleMania that, frankly, can only be described as mini feature films. I wonder, Drew, as a wrestling purist, how that sits with you. Do you think this is the next logical step? Would you rather things were kept in the squared circle? Do you think there's a place for it? I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Can you, are you excited to do one yourself one day? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing about WWE. Uh, we're always trying to innovate and think outside the box and considering the current climate, you know, it is interesting. Like we're pushing forward, we're creating original content to give people an escape during these difficult times. But it isn't easy to watch sometimes without a crowd that people are getting used to. But we're trying to think, all right, how can we be different? How can we surprise people? And it all started um, with the, um, what was it called? The, was the Undertaker match? Boneyard. The, the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. Yeah. You know, they were so out the box. I thought I would hate them, but I loved them. They were so different. The fans responded so positively to them. And I think we're going to keep doing that. We're listening to our audience. That's a great thing with WWE. We always listen to the audience and what they like, what they don't like. And I guess a big example of listening to the audience is, um, and this is a, like a really big one, our women's evolution. Um, I remember 2015, was it? Um, I believe um, there was a, tr a hashtag give divas a chance. It trended for three straight days. And then Vincent Mann himself responded and said, you know, we hear you. And sure enough, like, women started getting more opportunities um, from that day. And I was around back in the day when women were secondary performers to the men. They weren't given much time. They were just eye candy. And after, um, you know, the hashtag trended for three days and women started getting more of these opportunities, they knocked out the freaking park. And I, there was a time where I used to want to be after the females because it brought the crowd down. Now, you don't want to be after the women. Like, they're so good. They get the crowd so crazy. You, it's hard to follow them these days. And that's the coolest thing that has happened in the past few years for me is the women's uh, evolution and revolution, and they deserve it. I want to also touch on different levels of fandom, Drew, because it must be such an incredible thing. Maybe in the UK, I'm good. But you could walk down a road and some people will point and go, my word, it's Drew McIntyre. And others won't know who you are because do you know what I mean? If you know, you know, and you've also been through the ranks. You've done the Indies, you've done other promotions. How do the WWE audience differ to other wrestling audiences and then other entertainment audiences? Can you compare it to anything else in popular culture even? Um, I mean, the WWE um, audience is unlike anyone, anything else. Like they love uh, WWE so, so much. And the other companies I've worked with on the independent level, um, you know, they are, I guess, the hardcore fans that will go beyond WWE. They'll look at every bit of information they can possibly get to do with wrestling. And they're very focused on just the in-ring products. Like WWE itself is very in-ring based and entertainment based, like Raw and SmackDown are bigger shows. So, you know, we started kind of catering 
uh, to those fans with um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a diffusion brand, I guess. Um, yeah. Like we we have um, NXT UK in the UK because the UK scene was so on fire. Uh, that we created a brand that's very much in-ring based, much like our NXT brand, kind of caters to that audience who are very much wanting just an in-ring product where Raw and SmackDown are very much a mix of the in-ring product and the entertainment side. So we're trying to, like I say, listen to all areas of the audience and how can we appeal to them. And I guess that's where NXT UK and NXT uh, fill that um, appetite. There's rumours, Drew, that you're going to win Sports Personality of the Year. A wrestler. How the heck's that, that going to happen? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a little way off. Um, you're you're up against big competition in Tyson Fury. But the one thing I know about wrestling fans is they're committed. And if you're on the shortlist, I mean, there, there could be a, a tidal wave. I mean, how would would you show up to the ceremony to accept it if you won? <laughs> of course, I would show up to accept if I won. The <laughs> I, the idea that a wrestler was even mentioned. Um, as a possibility to be nominated for Sports Personality of the Year it just shows the global reach of WWE. It is um, just insane to me. It's insane that it's my name as the first person mentioned um, as a possibility, as, as a nomination. Um, I can't wrap my head around it. Like, it's Tyson Fury you mentioned. Um, is obviously like a prime candidate to win it. And he's somebody that when I talk about reaching new uh, parts of the audience, Tyson's somebody who kind of gets it. He's a huge reach. Um, he gets like how relevant WWE is. He actually took the time to make his predictions for WrestleMania. He predicted I would win, but he also said, if I was there, I'd be the one that won. And I went, all right, Tyson, I'll show you. I won the <laughs> WWE title. I went on TalkSport and called Tyson Fury out. And he, again, gets how big WWE is um, and the global reach. And we started having a back and forth banter and we got to the point where we're essentially setting up a match between us. But he's got the same mindset as me is just reaching you know, as many different people as possible. And we're essentially set up a match with myself and Tyson Fury. And regarding the sports personality of the year, people have their opinion on wrestling. They can say and think what they want. But my journey is very real. And I think that's the big focus that people will look at and go, wow, like somebody from the UK became the first British champion. There's hundreds of football clubs. There's one wrestling place in the world the size of WWE. And he made it all the way to the top. And he fought really hard. He got knocked down a lot of times. That's a really inspiring story. That's real. I think that's the main reason I've been considered. For the benefit of the audience as well, Tyson Fury's actually competed in a WWE ring. And in in, was it last year? I think it was, wasn't it? Yes, it was last year uh, against Braun um, Strowman. Mm, um, I also want to have a little chat about how WWE and how you, Drew, differentiate yourself. So is it important to, you don't want to, cookie cutter wrestler image you've got to have a point of difference how much of that do you think about on a day-to-day -day basis being unique and and also I, I want to bring to life um, a story that I've heard and I'm sure you'll articulate it better than me about your name um, Drew McIntyre because it's not your real name and I hear that there is a story and a thought process that, that went into coming up with the name McIntyre yeah I mean regarding the name um... I was about to debut on SmackDown um, in 2007. I just got to America three weeks later. I was the fastest person on television. And they were going to announce me as Galloway. And Stephanie McMahon actually asked me, is that your real name? I said, yes. And there was a brief conversation about, you know, is that what you want to go with? You're going to be known 
by this name for a long time. I felt like maybe it needs to be a little more Scottish for the American audience. It has to be three syllables. So we quickly, within a 10 minute period, my match was in 10 minutes, we ran to Talent Relations, brought up Wikipedia Scottish names, went through the list of Wikipedia, got to a name um, that I liked with three syllables so the crowd can chant it, McIntyre. And that's how Drew McIntyre came to be. And um, was the other part of the question, sir? The other part was about your character as an individual. So I think the, the other thing that I think is really important to WWE is the, the, the storytelling thing that you touched on, but also what goes into the makeup of the characters. Um, and I just kind of wanted to bring to life how, as a wrestler, you're thinking about that textured character. You're, you're more than just a bloke from Scotland. People know you for, for certain values, certain things. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting regarding myself. Now, we have, like, back in the day, if you watch wrestling, everybody was just very huge. Like, every, like if you looked across the roster, they were just giant, giant men, and they had kind of over-the-top silly characters and day jobs, even though they were WWE superstars. Like, we had plumbers, <laughs> and, like, the very most successful one would be we had a very successful Undertaker, and, <laughs> like, a lot of people had some interesting jobs. But now we have a lot of different shapes and sizes. The females get more opportunities, and it's more reality-based. Um, because, you know, we don't want to insult the audience's intelligence anymore. You know, people watch UFC, they watch boxing. So we have a more real aspect um, to the show. And I was a very serious character for a while. I was just a big, hairy, angry Scotsman. I'm six foot five, about 19 and a half stone. And nobody can really relate to a giant, hairy Scotsman except the one hairy Scotsman sitting in Scotland going, I get that guy. <laughs> so it's been interesting the past few months as they've allowed me to show my real personality and tell my real story and people can relate to no matter how big I am, and they can relate to that story. And like, wow, I understand that this guy now is struggle, he's overcoming all these difficult challenges, and he really wants to just achieve his dream. And the people started responding to that in a big way. And uh, I think the thing that makes me different is just being me, and the more real I can be, the more the fans uh, appear to enjoy. I see it from social media all the time, the comments, the response, and that's all I try to do now, is I try not to lie to my fans, I just try to be myself, and that's the biggest thing I've found is don't play it's, wrestler, be the wrestler. <laughs> it's incredible we're talking about something as big, blown up and chaotic as WWE, and you've articulated realism, which I agree with, as being central to being a success in that space, right? Getting closer Absolutely. to the real you. Yeah, um, people know how things work, just don't insult their intelligence. <laughs> Drew, I want to focus on any almost mistakes that you've made over the years and how one, how you've gone back to, um, yeah, how effectively you've, uh, you've encountered those mistakes. Have you made any mistakes? Do you think WWE has made any mistakes? Oh no, we're perfect in every single way. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we all, we all make mistakes. Um, the, the, the trick is learning from your mistakes. Um, for me personally, like I say, during my first run with the company, I, I was not giving my all in the ring and out the ring. I perhaps developed a bit of an ego at times, was not open to suggestions, not open to teamwork. And it was my way or the highway at times, which is not the way to approach anything. And it took getting fired for me to kind of wake up. You know, I'd suggest if you can figure things out before, you know, you're fired. That was an extreme example. Then I figure them out. But, you know, it takes being humbled sometimes to realize the key is just life's not that difficult. Be humble, be grateful, work hard, and things will go your way. 
I want to ask one question as well about kind of the extra pressure of being WWE heavyweight champion. John Cena did loads for Make-A-Wish. I know that's a, a charity that matters a lot for lots of people within WWE. Do you feel the extra pressure and extra responsibility? And how do you almost want to use this platform to do more stuff? What, what else are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, I don't see it as pressure. Um, I see it as a privilege. Um, like, like again, like some seen as someone I look up to and admire, and he works so hard with all his charitable work outside the company, and not because I don't know he gets a big handshake and a pat on the back. He does it because it means a lot to him. And I see it as now I'm in this position as WWE champion. I have this reach right now where people are listening to what I'm saying, and I'm, as much as I'm aiming to inspire people, I want to make a difference where I can make a difference, and I want to start working with any charity that wants to work with me. If Drew McIntyre can help you. I will work with you and obviously during these difficult times I can't physically meet a lot of people like uh, we do I've met so many kids backstage and just to see the smiles on their faces just because they're meeting me it's just it's hard to put into words I can't get upset because they're so happy and so they're they inspire me and I'm trying to figure out a way right now how I can do something over zoom or like with the times we're in right now I don't know what I can do I'm going to work with the team and come up with something but there's definitely a way we can keep you know, at least seeing the kids and doing whatever charitable work we can do in these times just by being creative and thinking outside the box and innovating. And that's what WWE is all about. I want to ask one more question in this bit, Drew, and that is where next for you? What, what, what's the journey for you and what's the journey for WWE? What's going to happen that's going to change? <laughs> um, it's hard to predict because you can't mm. predict anything. You can't predict uh, what's going on right now in the world. And we're just going to, do what we always do and that's go with the flow and keep staying ahead of the curve wherever technology goes WWE is always the first to go with it the reason I'm so up to date on all the latest trends of technology is because WWE is up to date with the latest trends of technology or I would be left way behind um, so whatever happens in the world I can assure you you know WWE will be keeping up to date innovating creating especially during this particular time as we'll be giving you some original content to take your mind off of what's going on right now are you on every social network? Are you on TikTok? Are you on Instagram? And are you constantly thinking about feeding the beast that is social media? <laughs> I am now. Since I, I was a bad guy for a long time, but since I'm a good guy now, and since I've especially been WWE champion, you know, I see it as my responsibility. That is how we, you know, get instant feedback from our audience is on social media. I am very active on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm only aware of what TikTok is because, as I say, WWE keep up to date with all the latest trends the kids are into. They, they send me the cool TikTok videos they make. I post them on my social media and fans respond so positively to them. And it's incredible. Just the engagement on social media is just unbelievable that I have the time of my life creating new content for the fans and thinking of different ways that I can catch people's attention, especially outside the industry. I'm, I'm also in a feud with Colby Covington, the former UFC welterweight, welterweight champion, and Chris Sutton, the former Celtic and Blackburn footballer, <laughs> back home. So that shows you like, I mean, like where my mind's at. I'm trying to reach so many different areas. That like, I'm out of control when it comes to trying to like, expand the brand. <laughs> I had no idea you were in a feud with Chris Sutton. That's incredible. Oh, there, there's a very good interview where I rip him apart for running north of the border, <laughs> thinking Scotland would just embrace him, and, like thinking he's just going to... Um, 
you know, talk some trash to me because my accent's a little bit funny now in American. And I said, I'm going to give him a big Glasgow kiss next time I see him. <laughs> nice. Um, Drew, I'm going to use the opportunity of having you as a guest on the podcast to tell the audience something that they may not know or may be shocked by. And I'd love your reaction to it as well. And the next big event in the WWE calendar is something called Money in the Bank. And normally what happens in Money in the Bank is people walk up a ladder and get a briefcase from above the ring and in that briefcase is a contract that means that they can fight a heavyweight champion at any point in the upcoming year but this year it's happening in a bit of a different way isn't it I mean, difference the understatement of the year <laughs> um when we talk about the cinematic matches so the boneyard match the firefly funhouse wwe thinking outside the box especially right now how to you know, get fans excited about our pay-per-views in particular. This is one that's got me excited as a champion. So, as you said, it's about climbing a ladder, re retrieving a briefcase, which gives you a guaranteed WWE title shot. This time, the match is going to start on the ground floor of the WWE office building, which is a very, very large building. Many, many floors. Many, I can't even tell you what's on each floor. Like, it's so much merchandise and insane like surroundings in that tower that it's going to be absolute carnage as the superstars fight from the first floor to the roof of the building. You heard me correctly. From the ground floor, they're going to fight to the roof of the building. Then they're going to get to a ring. Then they're going to try and climb a ladder. Then they're going to try and retrieve the briefcase. It is going to be freaking chaos and it is going to be so enjoyable to watch. I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to say this, but there has been some leaked photos on social media of the ring on the roof, and it looks off the chart incredible. And I would urge everybody, yeah. although I, I'm not sure whether you, you're allowed to say that, everybody to look at it because the spectacle will be incredible. Oh, yeah, check it out. Okay. If that's a picture you saw there, I'm sure that's just the small <laughs> scope of how big it's going to be. Like WWE don't do anything small. It's going to be over the top and fun to watch. <laughs> and Drew, where can people see Money in the Bank if they're in the UK? In the UK, you can check it out on the WWE Network, which I recommend checking out anyway, especially right now. There's so much content on there that'll keep you entertained for about the next 10 years. Uh, for Money in the Bank itself, uh, it'll be airing live on the network and also on BT Sport. So I'm still here with Drew McIntyre, the uh, first ever British WWE heavyweight champion. And we've kind of touched upon Drew's journey. We've discussed kind of the passion, the fandom that WWE brings out in people. And I now want to talk to Drew about his rocket fuel, things that our audience of marketing, media, tech professionals that want to engage young audiences, some actionable insights for them to take away. Drew, what do you know about young audiences? What do you think about youth? I mean, I think they're way ahead of the rest of us. They're always at the forefront of technology. Uh, so we got to keep up with them. You know, our TV program is uh, PG rated. It has been for years now. Um, and consumer products are a huge section with WWE, with the global toy partnership with Mattel, uh, 2K video gaming. Um, to give some more stats to you, like, as uh, so we are very focused on the youth of today, we have uh, more than 150 licenses in 85 countries. Many of those are for children's and youth product ranges. And also, like, as I say, with digital and social media, they're the biggest consumers of digital uh, across multiple platforms. And we are very active across those platforms. And like you mentioned already, this TikTok thing, I wouldn't know what it was if it wasn't for the kids being so obsessed, if it wasn't for WWE staying on top of 
uh, you know, what the kids are into today. So, yeah, we're very much about, um, you know, targeting hopefully children and teenagers and making some fans for life. And in terms of young audiences, we marketing people are often talking about things like brand purpose and things like that. What do you think is important to young people? Uh, I mean, today's, uh, you know, kids are certainly more, uh, you know, with way more aware when it comes to being you know, more cultural aware, more socially aware than the previous generation. Um, so, you know, we've got to be aware of that. And um, technology is a key contributor uh, to that as it impacts all parts of their lives and development. So, uh, yeah, that's certainly, you know, the, a big difference is every generation that changes that this particular generation are certainly way more on top of things uh, than previous generations. Um, what do you think will change about youth audiences next? I mean, do you, there's a, a, some people believe that attention spans have got shorter, but if anything, wrestling matches are lasting longer. What's not yours, not when you keep winning in five minutes or six minutes, yeah. but, <laughs> but there's, what, what do you think will change next either with WWE or more widely? Uh, I mean, like, you say attention spans are certainly shorter now. The kids have all the information in the world at their fingertips. Um, they're certainly more sophisticated than their parents and more sophisticated than me. And they're able to make their own choices about what content they consume, unlike you know, previous generations. Like when I was a kid, and when you were a kid, we just had TV and whatever's on TV is what you watch. You know, back when I was younger, we didn't have Channel 5 yet. It was Channel 1 to 4, whatever's on there, is that what, hey, that's what you watch. Um, and it means winning and keeping the young audience is such a big challenge for every company. And that's why WWE is so active across all touch points um, from, you know, regular TV all the way. And I keep mentioning it all the way to TikTok because that's the cool thing that's in <laughs> right now. <laughs> and uh, our data is about who's building as a connection. And like this is like, again, I'll throw some numbers at you because it just blows my mind when I get to see these numbers. You know, we've got more than one billion. That's with a B billion social media followers across 18 platforms, more than 34 billion views across all platforms. That's an increase of 9% year on year. WWE superstars are 10 of the most 15 followed female athletes in the world in social media. And on Instagram, seven WWE female superstars rank in the top 10 most followed female athletes. So these numbers are just incredible and show WWE's influence and global reach. It's, those numbers are huge. I mean, in terms of when, uh, my next question is going to be when talking to youth audiences, who gets it right? I guess one of the things that you're saying is WWE gets it right. Um, <laughs> I was going <Right>. to say, <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I was also going to ask if you think there's an example of either a, a brand or an organization that gets it wrong or almost common traits when people are going to get it wrong when they're trying to reach youth audiences? I mean, I, mean, I can't name anyone and say somebody gets it wrong. Sure. Um, the key is I am just listening to your audience and try and stay on top of, you know, what um, everybody's into today and what the youth they're into today. And realistically, it is all socially. They're all on their phones. They're all in their screens. They're all touching all day long with their heads down and how are you going to get their attention over the competition which is unlimited right now and that's why WWE are at the forefront of everything because you know when it comes to technology we're always ahead of the curve and I know that because as WWE champion now I've got my finger on the pulse and I tell them give me the information so that I feel like a young 
Like I was out of touch for a while, but when I became WWE champion, I'm like a young, cool kid again. I'm up to date with everything. Uh, Drew, very last thing. I'd love one takeaway for everybody listening. Just one, one thing that's either you want to highlight from our conversation or let me be honest, something that we've missed. What's the one takeaway everybody should go away with? Uh, I try not to be a long winded. So I'll give you two takeaways is the best I can do. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to give you 10. Uh, I guess one is uh, more, I guess, about me and my story for everyone listening. Just never uh, give up. You know, if you look at my story, there's a lot of times where I was close to giving up and it felt like um, I wasn't going to succeed and get there. I was knocked down so many times, but trust me, it could be one more step um, that you need to take and then you're succeeding and living your dreams. And when I say that, I mean, I'm talking about my dream as being a wrestler and being a WWE and WWE champion. That's not everybody's dream. Whatever your dream is, um, be it that promotion at the office, maybe you want to get into acting, uh, maybe, I don't even know, like whatever you're doing in life right now, everybody's got a goal, everybody's got a dream. Like if you just never give up, you can be accountable to the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, and you know you're giving it your all, you will succeed one day. Trust me on that. Just never, never give up. And I guess, um, you know, the, the second um, thing would be uh, being WWE champion. This is incredible. I'm getting the chance to engage with one of the most influential youth markets in the world. Um, and so this is like me living my dream and then living beyond my dream and doing things and learning things I never thought I would get to do and learn. So thank you for that. Drew, I can't thank you enough for saying yes to coming on Rocket Fuel. I really, really appreciate that. Um, I never thought in this uh, essentially a B2B podcast talking about youth culture, we'd end up with WWE uh, champion. It's amazing. So thank you so much for coming on. Drew, where can people find you on social media if indeed you want them to find you on social media? Where would you, uh, where would you suggest they follow you? Yeah, please come find me on social media. I'm certainly way more active these days. And you can find me at D McIntyre WWE. And if you've got ideas out there, send them to me because like I say, WWE listens to the audience. I listen to my audience. So please, any suggestions, fire them my way. So that was WWE champion Drew McIntyre's Rocket Fuel. We record a Rocket Fuel interview most weeks. If you think you'd be a great guest on Rocket Fuel, be sure to come back to us. Also, if you want to offer us any feedback, be sure to come back to us. Incredible story, Drew, when you think he was fired by that company six years ago, and now he's back to the top of the tree. An incredible insight into the passion that the WWE generates from its audience and its fan base. Share the podcast, leave us a review and tune in to next week's Rocket Fuel when it comes out next week. Thanks for listening. This is a Rocket Audio production.